just past 7 o'clock, and you know we're excited. It's time for Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo along for the ride as well. And Iron, whether people enjoy it or not, football is back. I don't know how much preseason you take in. I don't, did you watch the game last week? It was kind of rough around the edges when they first get back, but I'm excited regardless. Yeah, I mean, football, people don't realize that college football is starting in two, three weeks. The Miami and Florida game is is ready, is coming right around the corner. So, no, I'm excited. I, I, preseason right now has become not even watchable because nobody's playing in it mm-hmm. at all. They're not even trying to play any of their players. It used to be maybe you would see a star quarterback play, and put, maybe they're saying the third preseason game. But now you're looking at it, most of these players aren't going to play anything. I mean, they're, they're, you're not seeing any stars at all playing any of these games. You know, you start to see more and more rumors about what they're going to do with the season. In your opinion, after we're seeing all these games where nobody really plays, do you think we're going to see a modified preseason and season sooner than later? Well, the problem is the players don't want to go to 18 games. I mean, so and I don't that's, blame them. <laughs> and they don't want to play 18. And they're, they're, the, the one proposal was that they would sit out a week, that you would actually have a player that you would not be able to play. Like Tom Brady could not play all 18 mm. weeks, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. That's the stupidest thing. But I, I look, I'll watch the preseason. I'm interested in it in terms of watching some. But it's hard to even get a, a gauge about what's going on because they're not even playing at all now. We're big fantasy guys. So that's something towards the end. I'm always paying attention because I want to see who's winning the job and who looks good. But yeah, for now, like that game, it just all the it's just sloppy. It's not like what what we we came to uh, came to love. But when it's the only thing on, like Giants and Jets play Thursday night, I'm gonna be watching <laughs> just to see that. Um, Ira, we got so much to talk about tonight. But first and foremost, where have you been? Oh, I was at the City Open, which is a tennis tournament in Washington D.C., which I've wanted to go to my entire life, and I finally got to go to it. I went to it on Thursday, so I was excited to see that. So it was a really really cool event because you know I love tennis. And I got to see some of the great young players, and it's it's the uh, the venue is so small, especially on the grandstand. It's almost like if I went over to someone's private house and watched them play. I mean, it was that you're that close to the action, and it was great to see Titsipas, FAA, uh, TFO, some of these great young players, and and just see how they play. I've never seen about four of those. I never saw in person Mm -hmm. ever. Francis TFO, good friend of Iron Sports. Maybe we can get him back on. He gets back in the uh, in the winner's circle. Ira, let's talk baseball because we we had talked in the show like, do we really think this is going to be a hard deadline? Baseball is the biggest joke of a trade deadline, but it seems like this year this was it. And up until the last minute, it seemed like the biggest players were the Mets and the Reds. But then we ended up seeing some action later on. But first and foremost, Marcus Stroman, uh, excellent pitcher from Patchogue, New York, right next to where I'm from. Small guy, too. Um, He was dealt from uh, Toronto to the New York Mets. And to me, the Mets didn't give up all that much, I. Well, I I love Mets fans. I have a lot of (laughs) Mets fans. And they're depressed. Like, I have never seen... That's why I, I, I hate the base. Mets, because the Mets fan base, they're like, why'd we trade for this good player? Like, why do we want to win? Like, don't you want to root in August? And, like, they don't want to have a chance to win. They go, we lose all the time, expectations. But, I mean, come on. I mean, you have a team that finally said, we're going to go... Everyone thought Stroman was going to go to the Yankees. Stroman could go to any all these other teams. And the Mets trade for him, and they give up nothing for him. Absolutely mm-hmm. nothing. And then they trade Vargas from the... So now they're pitching... They're, their uh, starting rotation is 
arguably the best, and maybe the second best, well, best in the National League at yes. least. And I love the move. They're not only, they've now won 9 out of 10. I mean, we saw how Steve Matz pitched great, Wheeler pitched great, Syndergaard's been pitching well. Now they've been playing the Pirates, the Marlins, <laughs> the White Sox, those type of teams. But they're dominating, and they're on a roll. They won 9 out of 10, and why not go for it? Like, give your team a chance to win. That's why when Arizona, which is actually ahead of the Mets in the standings, Crazy. they give up Granke, they give up their best pitcher, but the Mets are like, let's go for it. Let's try to win. And, and that's all you can ask from a team to say, let's go. Uh, pennant races are great. Yeah, I don't hate Mets, but I'm typically against Met fans. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, to tell us about this trade, because like we said, the Mets really got a steal on a very good all-star caliber pitcher. And he's also tied up for another two more years. Yeah. So that's going to be great for them in terms of money that they can afford. He's like $12 million. So it's it's a perfect trade. And he's also, he has an edge. He was bad. He didn't want to be traded. Mm-hmm. He, he gave this quote. I'm going to read this. He goes, I made the all-star game. I had a gold glove. I threw back-to-back seasons of 200 innings. I've never heard a word from those guys in the front office. There was nothing offered ever from their perspective. If they do say that, it's a complete lie. I'm not going to beat around that. I've been waiting to take some type of deal since I've been here. I've been offered nothing. And he goes, so here's a guy who wants to show it. I mean, he is coming with an mm-hmm. attitude, and he is the perfect attitude. He's almost like the Baker Mayfield type of player yeah, he is. for the Mets. And if the Mets need that, if they need any extra smart, and you see Alfonso and McNeil, I mean, if this is what the Mets are giving, these younger players with a lot of passion, a lot of energy, that's what you need. That's going to be great. Yeah, and at the other end of the spectrum, they've got the Todd Frazier's of the world. <laughs> they, they managed to pick up the old 38-year-old guys. But but still, I mean, this was a great deal for them. Um Strowman's stats, you, you can't go by wins and losses, but you know he's got a sub-3 ERA. This is a quality pitcher. He's a sub-3 ERA, and I've been saying this all week. If you're a Met fan, you want one thing and one thing only. Because if you can get to that wild card game, remember, the two teams are not going to catch the Braves. They're not. Forget about the Braves. If you get to that wild card game and you have DeGrom pitching, I mean, even if you're going against Scherzer, you're the favorite. I mean, you're the favorite to win that wild card game. So yeah. just get to that wild card game, and then you're going to be in the playoffs, and you're going to have this great rotation. They're going to be able to use some of their other pitchers. Maybe you could have Wheeler coming out of the bullpen. So as and they kept Diaz, their closer, who nobody likes as Met fans, but still he's a very good closer. They might but, be going closer by committee already. Closer they're by saying. or something. <laughs> but the point is, is that the Mets. This is very exciting, and 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 look, the Mets have proved, that, and this is what's going to happen in the last two months of the year. You have a lot of teams that got rid of all their players. And now with they're not going to be able to bring up so many minor leaguers to, in September. You're going to see the Orioles, the Tigers, the Pirates. These teams are going to lose like 15 out of 16 games. Yeah. So when you're playing, now the Mets schedule gets harder. I understand that. I understand it gets more difficult. But I think it was a great, great trade for the Mets. I like the fact they're going forward. And I, I'm going to say it here. I think I predict them. They're going to be they're going to get in the wild card game. DeGrom's going to win it, and they're going to be playing in the postseason. They're going to be playing it. And they absolutely could, the way, the way that this is shaking out. So, Ira, you know, a couple of, uh, a couple of miles away is Yankee Stadium. And at the last minute, the Astros pull a trade for somebody that really wasn't even 100% on the market, you know, that you were hearing in the media. But they landed Zach Greinke, and this guy is about as consistent as you can get. I loved hearing about this trade because supposedly it was, Yankee fan. <laughs> done, it was done in 24 hours. It was mm-hmm. a phone call from uh, the Astros to the Diamondbacks. It was after they were, it was in, in, in the, from that phone call, 24 hours, they made that deal. And it was a very complicated deal. But to get a guy like Zach Greinke, one of the best pitchers in baseball, 10-4 and 4 record, 2-9-0. Two, two 
uh, ERA. I mean, it was a tremendous move, and it's the strong. I mean, they already have Verlander, who's going to win the Cy Young. They have Cole, who's, again, 13-5, 287 ERA, 216 strikeouts. And their fourth pitcher, Wade Miley, is uh, has a 10-4 record and an under-3 ERA. I mean, they have now have four tippy-top pitchers. And the Sanchez, who they brought in on another trade, he, they was part of a no-hitter this week. Combined so no they are they are, and I just like the fact. I mean, this is Jim Crane of the Astros. He's the uh, he, he's the GM, he's the owner. I think that he and, and Jeff Lunau is our GM. Putting a deal together, is, this is the perfect way to move. Great, uh, just amazing. And they didn't even give up any of their best minor league players anyway to make get cranky. And they're and his, he's owed this year and next year, the year after, uh, ninety million dollars. And they got the, the Diamondbacks to pay twenty four million. I know if you're trying to follow this, it doesn't make any sense. I don't I don't see how it makes sense. I mean, you sign Greinke to this big deal. You're the Diamondbacks. You're our contenders. I don't know why you'd give up on him. And he's a great pitcher. So you know, I, I think the point that that you just said is the most important thing in this. The Astros have a wealth of talent and didn't have to give any of it up. They've got Jordan Alvarez, who's had a, thir- a 1.30 OPS in AAA this year. They've got a guy who's a, supposed to be a better prospect in Kyle Tucker, and they've got an amazing young pitching prospect, prospect named Forrest Whitley. None of these guys moved. They gave up Seth Beer for one of the best pitchers in the National League, Ira. I mean, this guy, Jeff Lunau, he's swindling people at this point. Yeah, and it's great. And the Astros, he is phenomenal. The the team, uh, they also hit. Like they're not like this is oh, a team of pitchers. They have they have great hitters. Uh, and they and they've been injured a lot most this year. They're getting Altuve back. Correa is going to come back. Uh, the, the Bregman Springer. They have a great uh, Brad, Michael Bradley, Jack Bradley, Michael Bradley. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are an amazing team, and they are by far now the favorites to go to the World Series. Atlanta Braves. Um, all season, it's been known that they need to shore up that bullpen, and that's all they went to do in, in this deadline. Well, they got Sean Green and Melanson, and the fact is that the Dodgers, some of these other teams that needed bullpen help didn't get that. So yeah. I give them credit to actually getting Sean Green from Detroit, who has 22 saves, a 1.08 ERA. That was a, I mean, the Braves are the surprise team, and they are seven games up, and they're going to make the playoffs, uh, and they got they helped their bullpen. I don't see them beating the Dodgers, but they, they might win, or they might get to the uh, National League Championship Series. Um, you wanted your uh, Pittsburgh Pirates to, to get rid of some talent. They didn't probably make as many moves as you wanted. Are you happy with how things worked out for the Pirates? No, I'm not happy because I still think they just they don't care. They, I, they, <laughs> they're just awful, and they keep losing, and they're, they're just terrible. It's just – I mean, they actually had – on Sunday, they sold out the stadium. They had uh, 30 some really? thousand people there. And it's an embarrassment of what they're putting on the field. Next year, they only have, I think, $20 million to contracts that are secured. Um, but they gave Corey Dickerson up to the Phillies. But it's still, it's just they didn't trade their, their closer, which I thought they would trade, which uh, keeps somebody. Like, I, I just don't think, I don't, the Pirates aren't going to sign anybody. They're not going to pay anybody. And they are just going to be awful. Yeah, the uh, Washington Nationals, they feel like they got to do something to stay relevant in the NFC East. So they made some small moves. Well, they got they got uh, a couple. They got three relievers actually, and that helps. I mean, you're seeing what these teams are doing. They're adding to their bullpen and they're getting their middle relief because as baseball is now, unless unlike the Astros, I mean, most of these teams are going like four or five innings with a pitcher, and you're bringing relievers in, and you're gonna you're gonna have to use 13. Maybe <laughs> their pitching staffs are enormous. So I think it was a smart move. And the Nationals are in the hunt, and they're and they're thinking the same thing. We have Scherzer, we have Strasburg, we have Corbin. Let's get Just to the playoffs. We're, they, they're they're seven games back. They're Five, it's five games back, but if we can just get to the playoffs, we have a chance. It's seven sixteen. This is Ira on Sports ninety five nine, the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo along for the ride as well. Ira, it was one of the more head scratching moves 
of this, but it was also the biggest until the Grinky move went down, and that's the Reds. Um, it, it was a three-way trade, but the Reds acquired Trevor Bauer, who everyone thought was going to be the prize of this uh, of this deadline. Yeah, but I thought the Reds did a good job of that trade. They got uh, they uh, they were able to get the Indians did. I thought it was good for both teams. Indians did a great job. It was like yeah. one of those where the Indians got they need hitting. They got Puig in the trade. They got Reyes in the trade. So I think they have improved. But it's also one of these deals where I think the you know, the Reds acquired someone. Like I like the fact that the Reds are actually they didn't just do a, a trade for a star for some minor leaguers. Like they're trying to win. Mm-hmm. And Bowers under contract for a couple of years. I think it was a good move for them. Uh, I agree. A lot of people don't know about Fran Mill Reyes because he was playing in San Diego. He doesn't get talked about all that much. This guy mashes balls. And Cleveland's deficiency was in the outfield. They got lost Brant uh, Brantley in the offseason. So. Um, here they are stacking up their outfield. Taylor Trammell, it's Alan Trammell's son. He's going to be a stud too. Um, so that's somebody to watch out for. So some prospects were moved, but yeah, this is one of those trades where I think you have to be happy uh, on either side of the of the ball. Right, right, right. And then San Francisco not trading Bumgarner going in for yeah. it. I mean, I thought they've won 60 out of 18 games. Uh, Bo, this is their manager's last year. He's retiring after the year. I like the fact that they went for it. So, I mean, it's, it's the, the weird thing is that the Yankees and the Dodgers, the two teams yeah. that were supposed to whatever needed, Yankees did not make a trade. I mean, Cashman, the quote I saw was, the best play was we did nothing. We did, we did nothing for a very good reason because we felt everything that was in front of me was really not obtainable because of the soda shade cost and they just could not get starting pitchers they desperately need Wade Miley for the Astros who they're now their fourth pitcher would be the game one starter <laughs> if on the Yankees that's how bad the Yankees pitching pitching staff is they're praying that uh, Luis Severino comes back from that lat injury to, to try to make something happen let's talk about my Yankees for one second Ira they were really trying to move Clint Frazier and oh, I, I assume they are because Cashman just doesn't seem to like this guy. He's causing a ruckus now at Scranton Wilkes Bar. He just doesn't want to be there. He posted on Instagram today something about Scranton life because he can't get out of AAA. The guy needs to realize that he's very bad on defense. He's got a minus seven war on the defensive side. That's terrible. And he's getting passed off by guys like Mike Tauschman, who they've got up now, who people don't realize he had a higher OPS at AAA, uh, the AAA than Frazier did. So Clint Frazier's causing a ruckus Apparently, they wanted to trade him for Syndergaard, and the Mets said, we don't want this guy. That's how bad he is on defense. So it's time to like look inside yourself like, man, I better get better on defense if I'm going to go anywhere here. So maybe I do agree with, with uh, Cashman at that point. Like, you know, if, if nobody wanted this guy— and we couldn't move him for what we wanted. We had to stay pat. Well, the Yankees had a, a ton of injuries this week, and they asked Aaron Boone, they go, are you going to bring up uh, uh, Frazier? And he goes, no. He didn't even say, well, I have to talk to Cashman about it. I have to think about it. He just said no. And and, and people who are my friends, of course, have a ton of Yankee fans. They won Frazier up there. And I think it's – I, I would have traded Frazier anyway. I don't know what they're it's, – it's a bad situation. He's clearly – I think they can't find a suitor. And, and, and trade him and make him – if he's so bad on defense, make him a DH. I mean, just play him in DH somewhere. I mean, I they're, they're, they definitely don't like the guy, and they didn't <laughs> trade him, and he he should just, he only has to play one more month of minor league baseball. He's That's literally it. the redheaded stepchild on <laughs> that New York uh, Yankees team. Um, a, a move that went under the radar, but I think that it's uh, is very head-scratching to me, Ira, was right here. The Miami Marlins had a pitcher named Zach Gallen, who was the best pitcher in the minors this year. Brought him up, and he's pitching pretty well. Uh, not getting the wins, but you play for the Marlins. But he's looking really good. They traded him to Arizona for a guy named Jazz Chisholm. He's a double-A shortstop hitting 200. Um, he's, he was the Diamondbacks' top prospect until they p- pulled in all these guys from Houston. This move, though, to me, makes no sense. I understand they've got a wealth of good, young, starting pitching in, in Miami, but this guy, Zach Gallon, looked like the real deal, and I don't think they got that much back. 
Well, <laughs> any any move in Miami would be under the radar at this point. So, <laughs> Good point. Uh, I mean, their attendance is so poor, and the excitement for the team is just awful. Uh, but it was just it's like it's like everything they do is head scratching, and I think no one understands what the Marlins are doing at all. So we've been talking a lot about uh, the playoff race. Why don't you get us caught up on how this is shaking up in the AL and the NL? Well, the Yankees swept the Red Sox this weekend, so I said the Red Sox are going to stay in it, and I was wrong. I mean, I thought the Red Sox would actually could, this was their chance, and they they're now lost eight mm-hmm. in a row they've been playing terrible and they were outscored by the Yankees 26 to 12 and uh, and the Yankees are on a roll but everybody gets hurt they have now this in this weekend they lost three of their starters Hicks yeah. Torres and Ed Carcione all got injured and are going to be on the IL as they call it so the DL they already have Greg Bird on the IL Stanton is on the IL Sanchez Severino Sabathia it's just unbelievable that they're able to stay in this I mean that's where you got to give Aaron Boone credit he's done well great uh, the job team, the team people it's next man up type of philosophy they play great. Um, surprising, Minnesota. I mean, that's a team nobody is talking about. They're mm-hmm. three up on the Indians. The Indians look like they're still going to make it, but they, like Minnesota beat Kansas City, Miami. They won seven of eight. Again, beating these bad teams. So really in the wild card, it's going to be Indians, the Rays, and the A's. That's it. The rest of the teams are pretty much out of the, in the in the American League, and the Astros are eight and a half over the A's. And right now, I'm just, you know, I'm sold on the, uh, the Astros are going to the World Series, and I think <laughs> they're going to win it. Like I would, I, I think it's the Astros and Dodgers right now, and I should have bet it when the season started you know you never know what's going to happen but it's funny what you brought up about minnesota because it seems like minnesota and tampa do this every year they're the most under the radar team most people can only name three starters on each of them but they're always fighting for a playoff spot for, for years i thought ron Gardenhire was the best manager in baseball because he always had the twins leading that division and he had no no right to be now he's gone and they're still doing the same thing what's going on in the nl well, I, the Braves, we talked about, they're, ahead of, they're seven games ahead of the Nats and Phillies. The Cubs, uh, one and a half over the Cardinals and four and a half over Milwaukee. But the key is that it's just the, the wild card. The, the Cardinals, the Nationals, the Phillies, the Brewers, the Diamondbacks, Giants, and Mets, all within three games. Just for the So it's going to be a great. I mean, the National League is going to be phenomenal. I mean, the Dodgers are 17 games ahead of Arizona and San Francisco. Uh, but that's why they put the two. This is exactly what baseball wanted with the two wild cards. And I really like the idea. I, I love the concept, and I like the fact and it's exciting to follow it and see what happens. I mean, this week, the Dodgers, Walker Bueller pitched another complete game. I mean, he good. is just a cra- I mean, these guys, he was pitched like 90-some pitches, 99 pitches, a complete game, 4-1. Um, they bring, they take, so the Dodgers put Rue, who's their best pitcher, on the I.L. They said just for just for a couple, for like one start, almost to give him a break. And they bring up Dustin May, a 21-year-old mm-hmm. player. He's Phenomenal. I mean, it's like the Dodgers <laughs> just have, do they have every great baseball player? And then they win their ninth game with Muncie with a walk-off double last night. So they are just, this team is crazy. The Dodgers are are tremendous, and uh, um, they're, they're just fun to watch, too. They have a lot of good players, and they play hard. Speaking of fun to watch, Mike Trout is the most fun-to-watch player of this generation. Kid does everything. And at this point, nobody can pass him for AL MVP at this point. No, there's only, it's interesting, there's only seven players hitting over 300. He's at 298. Um, he has 30, uh, 37 RBI uh, home runs. The next person is 30. He has 87 RBIs. The next is 76. I mean, he has a 7.1 war, which is what we talked about, that statistic mm-hmm. wins against replacement. Next highest is 5.0. You know, in the baseball, it's like, oh, did you make the playoffs? Yeah, you're going to win the MVP. Clearly, he's so by far better than everyone in baseball. He's going to be the MVP of the, the American League. Mm-hmm. And NL 
It's probably down to two guys, and they're both. This could be a co MVP type of season. Their stats are amazing. Bellinger is hitting 326. Yelich for the uh, Brewers is hitting 330. Bellinger has uh, uh, 85 RBIs. Yelich has 82. And Bellinger's 36 home runs. Yelich is 37. I mean, they are. To ask who's going to win this, it's just who's going to have the best next. But it's either one of those two, nobody else. So really, you're looking at those two guys are going to have the be the MVP of the National League. Seven twenty four. Iron Sports ninety five nine. The True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, we talked about it earlier. It was a bucket list item of yours. The City Open in Washington D.C. Before we talk about this, tell us a little bit about the area and the arena. I've never even really been around Washington D.C., let alone saw where they play. Well, it's well, people in Washington don't even know about it either. Um, <laughs> Um, the funny thing about uh, the City Open is that in men's tennis, we talked about this in tennis, there's very few tournaments. I mean, the PGA Tour, every week it's in another place. But the in tennis, they're playing in Europe and Asia most of the year. It's very little. You have the U.S. Open in this time of year, and then you have the Miami Open, and you have Indian Wells. Short of that, there's like a seven or eight tournaments. That's all they play in the United States. So it's great to see pros. Now, there was no Nadal, no Djokovic, no Federer at this tournament. But you got to see a lot of good young players. It was founded 50 years ago. It's in this Rock Creek part. And it's so funny, like I drove, I dropped off on an Uber. You get out of the Uber and you could just walk right into the arena. There's no walking <laughs> through. It was so cool. And it's there's a stadium that seats 7,500 people. And then there's a grandstand that seats like 800, 700, 800 people. And it's like a movie theater almost. And you're there on both sides. And it was great. And it was like, they were so small. So you could actually, it was easy to go to, easy to, it was, it was a great, it was a great night too. The weather was not so hot. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was there, I got there at two and got to see like five matches and I liked it. It was nice. I mean, they've, they've improved it in terms of the uh, amenities around there and the food offerings. It's not like the Miami Open at all, but just for someone like me who loves tennis, I, I, I love going to it. So tell us about um, how the matches went. Well, I got to see uh, Joe Willisonga from France play and he played Kyle Edmund of England and he lost but it's interesting because Sanga has been one of the greatest players in tennis in the last like 10-12 years he has made 21 million dollars in earnings he's had 17 titles um, his highest ranking was only 5th this shows that you don't have to be number 1 in the world he never was number 4 3, 2, or mm. 1 but um, he's like one of the only players besides Thomas Burdick who beat uh, all 4 members of the Big 4 at least once at a Grand Slam uh, he's one of 7 players to win a tournament which all the big four, the Murray and Nadal, Djokovic, Federer had played. And uh, Sanga, Murray, and those were the only players to beat Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic at least once while they had the number one ranking. So he's really had a great, great career. And the fans love him. It was an interesting match, and he lost in three sets. But it was it's just, you know, I never would talk about Joe Willie Sanga. And it's, this is really, <laughs> he's 34 years old. It's the twilight of his career. But it's neat that he's still hanging in there, playing well. And uh, that was good. And then I saw Silic, who actually won the U.S. Open a few years ago, play Felix Agar Alas. Spinning. I didn't pronounce that right, but his, his nickname is FAA, which I love that nickname. And he's from Canada. He's 18 years old. I heard so much about him, and he really is good. Like, I... I see what the hype is all about. His serve is like 120 to 130 miles an hour. His quickness on the court. He moves everywhere. He's tall. He's fast. He is... He is the he is really really good. Like he's so young, he hasn't really. This is really his first year playing on the tour, and I he lost to Silic six four six three and had double faults and some mistakes. But he has a good court demeanor. But his quick. I'm looking at the quickness of these players. He is very fast. He's very good. Um, someone you look at him is like he could easily be the number one player of the world. And then I got to see Daniel Medvedev play Tiavo. Medvedev is from Russia, and he's another 23 year old great young player. And they had some fun points. I mean, the crowd was all for Tiavo. 
Tifo's really? from DC. He grew oh, up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Everything is there. He, he grew up. He's, he worked at the his father ran the courts uh, near um, the Rock Creek Park. Um, he has been. He's beloved in, in Washington, and he played hard. I mean, it was a very fun match. They had points where they were lobbing over at the court. Everything was great. And my, my, I took my girlfriend. It's so funny. She was the only one rooting for Medvedev there because their <laughs> birth dates are on the same day. So that was the reason. But it was like she would be clapping for Medvedev, and no one. But even he said he goes. Oh, the fans were nice to me. I think he was talking about my girlfriend, cheering for him. But um, but it was. But he's a good young player. He's again. He's tall. It's one of these players now that they're fast, they're quick, they're tall, and they have great serves. They're not just like with a big serve or just they're going to hit ground strokes. Like you got to do it all. And it was good to see him play. And he made it to the finals actually of the tournament. And then I got to finally got to see Titsipas from Greece, who I really want to see. Twenty years old. He is uh, he's the fifth ranked fifth in the world. So at twenty, in, yeah. twenty, and he's come on and he's he's like six four. His serve is tremendous. His all court game. He's fast. He moves around. He's a great player too. I just love from both the forehand backhand sides the power he hits. Uh, great player to watch. I mean, you don't get it watching him on TV. How fast he is. How power his serve. I mean, he was winning his serves like with ease. I mean, he serves like Isner serves almost. I mean, what a great young player. So as much as I. You know, I'm mentioning all these players. TFO is the good young American, but boy, it's going to be hard. I mean, these foreign players, again, you, you're starting to see this next group of great young players coming in. Um, and I'm, I'm very, I was very impressed to see them up per, in person and watch it. And then Isner played the top-ranked American, but Bernard Pair from France beat him at night. Uh, and then the other match was Kyrgyz. And he ended up, Nick Kyrgyz of Australia, who's 27 years old. So he's not this young player, but he's been told, you know, he's been known as someone who has all the talent in the world, the greatest talent in the world, but he's the worst attitude. And I'm going to say, I think it's the worst attitude of anybody in sports right now. Mm-hmm. I can't name in any sports someone who has, I mean, he is just, he quit in, at the Wimbledon in 2015. He just stood there and someone was serving. He didn't want to return the serves. He's admitted to tanking eight times. He's made fun of players' girlfriends during the match that other people could hear. They can stand Rowinka. Mm-hmm. He's made fun of Nadal. He's made fun of Djokovic. He's made fun of Federer. Um, he was fined in a tournament once for lack of effort, and then he was fined for verbal abuse of a spectator <laughs> he was fine for and he was banned he was banned eight weeks for lack of effort against another player and uh, and then he once yelled at umpire can you call time so I can finish this match and go home and then he goes and then he even said uh, in an interview he goes what does this even mean I'm good at hitting a tennis ball at the net big deal I don't owe the fans anything if you don't like it I didn't ask you to come watch just leave I mean he's great, just, great young kid once he was playing a match and his cell phone went out and he stopped the match and took a phone call I mean he's <laughs> and McEnroe and McEnroe has criticized him, but he has all the skill in the world. Oh yeah, the one 2019 Rome Masters against Casper Rub. If you Googled Casper Rub Rome Masters, he was a pulled a Bobby Knight. He was swearing at the line judge. He kicked his water bottles on the court, and then he twirled his chair and threw his chair onto the court and kept getting fined. But they won't suspend him for a long period of time. But he ended up winning the tournament, which is crazy. It's just terrible. So I think I was not rooting for him, but he beat he beat Tsitsipas and then he beat Medvedev. But he has all the talent in the world. He's someone who probably should have won majors, but he doesn't have the mindset to play in a major with five sets. He's never going to beat Nadal, Djokovic in, 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 a, in, a, in the Grand Slams and in, 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 in be able to win seven matches to win a Grand Slam. But it was great to be at the tournament. I love going to it. And uh, our next tennis I'll see is the U.S. Open in New York in a couple weeks. It's Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. It's 731. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, you know, 
we seem to be finding or keep talking about little tweaks and stuff to um, to golf, and another tweak is going to be coming up for us. I love what golf is doing. Like, I think golf is becoming like this sport is the most has the weirdest rules, so weird. weirdest things. Everything's weird, but do you, there are some things they're trying to do now, except for the Honda Classic, which continually nobody will play. In when you have all the top <laughs> golfers in the world in Palm Beach, and nobody can play in the Honda Classic, but but they so. The rule this year was that if you, it, this has been gone on forever, is that if you're an amateur golfer and you then get an exemption and they say to go into the U.S. Open. So you, you earn the exemption to go in the U.S. Open or the Masters because you're an amateur and you're allowed now to play in those tournaments. But they're like, oh, well, you won, you gave up, should you just turn pro? But you're not allowed. You're not allowed to collect the money because if you collect the money before, if you announce that you're not, then, then you lose your exemption. So that's why they have to play in the tournament. They lose it. Well, this year, Victor Hoagland, who was this great golfer from Stanford, he's, he's one of the best young golfers out there. He played in the Masters. He made the cut. He was a low amateur of the Masters and the U.S. Open, but he could never get the prize money or the points from playing it playing in it so he didn't get credit but he he finished fourth at the Wyndham this past mm-hmm. weekend and, it, and he's he's not going to get his card for next year so even though he's been one of the arguably top 30 40 golfers in the world in the world he can't get a PGA Tour card because he didn't get credit for these for winning the tournament. The U.S. Open and Masters got to give them credit. I mean, the, what they've now said is that you are going to be allowed to say, okay, now I'm professional, even if you qualified, and well, you won't lose your exemption. So I think that's great that they're letting them get win the tournaments, win the U.S. Amateur title, then get your exemption in there and still collect the money and still collect the points and be able to turn and do it. Do I think that's I think it's a great move and something they should have done and at a long it's long. Time. It makes no sense. So what would he have had to do next? year declare as uh, as a pro next year and then still no work he's declared he just declared after the u.s open was over he immediately declared after the u.s mm-hmm. open so he played the u.s open and then the day after said i'm pro so then he turned pro the day after the u.s open but he couldn't get all those points for the masters or the money it doesn't backdate all it's back yeah it doesn't backdate so but but he's done so well what's amazing is that he's almost got his card since playing for two months so it's a joke i mean it was like that was it's now that what tiger did is tiger I think Tiger declared, played, and then then he then he declared after the season was over to, to come in. But he was also getting exemptions left and right, so it didn't matter. But um, uh, that was it's just a great change of the rule. Um, what else happened at Wyndham? Well, JT Poston won, and this is like one that we've been talking about these tournaments. We talked about the Honda, about uh, players that just come out of nowhere, and I mean, he's never made the cut in a major championship. He's 26 years old. He's from North Carolina, only an hour away, and he beat Webb Simpson at 22 under par. Uh, not There was no big-name golfers except Spieth. I don't know why Jordan Spieth played in this tournament, but he finished 20 strokes back, and Patrick Reed played in, because the next three tournaments are the big three tournaments. Northern Trust at Liberty National, uh, BMW and Medina, which then has a cut there's a cut down for after Northern Trust and then of course the tour championship. So there's only three tournaments left next three weeks of golf and that's it. That's exactly what golf wanted. They wanted to get out of they wanted to be done with golf. When, and let the NFL have the, the playing field. And so it's actually, I think if you ask everybody from the PGA, I think they're ecstatic of how this year went. East Lake is, is going to be the tour championship. I believe that's in Atlanta. Atlanta. Have you ever been there? That's where Tiger won it last year. Have no, you been there before? Never been there. Yeah, no. no, I've seen it on TV. It looks like a beautiful course. I'd love to check that out. Maybe you can take that one in this year. <laughs> Get time to pop over to Georgia. Um, a, a contract pop-up, let's switch to NBA. A contract popped up that... I wasn't sure how you were going to feel about this, but Draymond Green is going to be a warrior for a little bit longer. It's so funny. Everybody listen. I have a lot of callers who have told me, they go, 
when are you going to stop talking about the NBA? And I'm like, I'm never going to stop. (laughs) I'm never going to stop talking about the NBA. But the fact is, there's just a couple things we wanted to mention. But out of nowhere, this came up. I mean, Draymond Green was going to be on that free agent class of next year. It was uh, Andre Drummond, Kyle Lowry, DeMarcus DeRozan, Danilo Gallinari, and Anthony Davis, if he opts out of the the Laker deal. But it wasn't going to be anything like this year, like one-tenth of it. So people assumed that Draymond Green was just going to stay because he would have signed, like, this contract, honestly, no one saw this coming because next year he could assign like a five-year $200 million contract or if he became of an all-NBA team a five-year $240 million contract mm. but he signed four years $100 million off the $18 million he's getting this year so he's really over five years getting $118 million what he really could have got after next year two hundred. million he left a lot of money on the table but it really 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 helps the Warriors because now they can have they have Green they have Curry they have Thompson uh, under a under under you know uh, control for like three four years. Uh, uh, Curry is three so this year and another two years after that. So it's an amazing move. And Demarcus and, and Russell, Demarcus Russell, uh, 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 four years, one hundred seventeen million. So he's under contract too. You know, Ira, um, Chris Broussard is arguably one of the most respected um, analysts when it comes to to the NBA. He said that Carmelo Anthony is better than sixty percent of the players in the NBA right now. I don't know if you think that's true or not, but what's your thoughts on Carmelo? Because he seems to want back. Also, I meant D'Angelo Russell, not Demarcus Russell. Demarcus <laughs> Russell was a Close quarterback. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's so funny because I was talking. Someone was saying who is the strongest arm they've ever seen in football, and I was driving in there. Someone said Demarcus Russell, who played for LSU and then went to the Raiders. So I don't know why Demarcus was made was D'Angelo Russell. It was it was D'Angelo Russell, not Demarcus Russell. But yes, well, Carmelo went on Stephen A. Smith on first take this week for like an hour. He was talked about about how he should be playing, and I agree. I mean, his situation last year. Remember, he played for the. the Nuggets. Then he played for the Knicks for seven, eight years, and then he went to the the, the Thunder and played a good. He played well that the, two years ago, and then last year he went to the Rockets and was supposed to be part of that team. And after ten games, they just cut him. They just mm-hmm. literally cut him from the teams. He didn't play last year. Um, he's he wants to play. He's trying to find a team. No one signed him, but I agree that I think he should be able to get uh, a contract somewhere. I mean, he's still I, he's still if he's willing to take a. People are just afraid he's not going to take a role, a bench role. And he kept saying, "I am, I am, I am," and I think he'll. Tr- He'll convince somebody. What's interesting, what he said was they, Stephen A. asked him, they go, the, about 10, when you made, did you make a mistake in having a five-year deal when he was at Denver and he was not having an opt-out? So he never could opt out when LeBron opted out and Bosch opted out and Wade opted out. And they all, well, Wade opted out but then re-signed in Miami. He was going to be the other guy, not Chris Bosch. So the, it was going to be Anthony Carmelo, LeBron, and Dwayne in Miami, not Chris Bosch. So that was interesting. He said he made a mistake. He regrets it. He didn't understand his business. He complimented LeBron. He complimented Wade. He said, those guys knew what they were doing. I didn't understand it. I saw, I, I was confused about that. But getting back to what Draymond did, I think that Draymond, Draymond took the money. And the idea is he could have played for $18 million this year and then waited another year. But after seeing Durant get hurt, seeing Thompson Clay get mm-hmm. hurt, I think he's like, look, I got $100 million. I got $18 million this year. I'm going to get a $100 million guaranteed contract. I'm taking that money. And he might have not got that money going forward. So I think it was a win-win for Draymond. I think it was a win-win for the Warriors. And uh, but a lot of people didn't see that. They said, "Oh, he could have waited." But and also his game is weird. It's perfect for Golden State. But would other teams have thought that his type of skill set would have worked in other teams? It might have not been. That. Look at Boogie Cousins and what happened with him. It could have been the same. And Cousins got hurt. Yes, yeah, it could have been the same him. type of scenario. Now Boogie Cousins is playing for for pennies compared to the you know twenty million that uh, twenty five million Draymond will make. 
Um, you know, you, you spoke about LeBron, and David Griffin spoke about LeBron earlier this week. What do you think about that? Well, he read an article in Sports Illustrated where he's the former general manager of the Cavaliers, yeah. and he just... Well, I have no idea what he needed. I mean, he's now the general manager of New Orleans. Like, just focus on New Orleans, focus on your team. Why is he revisiting what happened with LeBron? And it's, it's saying anything, look, it was great, LeBron. But, and also, LeBron has been great to David Griffin. LeBron's actually retweeted as David Griffin's wife was in a business, and he was, like, pushing her business. He's been nothing but complimenting towards David Griffin the entire time. Mm -hmm. And he went after, he says he was miserable being the general manager. LeBron made it so hard. After he won his title, he didn't care anymore. All these other things. And then... <laughs> And then they go, LeBron's people talked to David Griffin and said, you better walk these. So he tried to walk his quotes back, but he's already, <laughs> I, I just thought it was horrendous. And it made news because the fact is, is that people were interested. Here's the general manager saying how difficult it was. But from my reading of it was, was that David Griffin was aligned a lot with Kyrie. And when, it, when, when he left, that's when Kyrie demanded his trade. That's mm -hmm. how that whole warrior, but, I, but LeBron never criticized David Griffin. He's been very, very supportive. I was shocked that he made these comments. And again, I think he should just moved on and, and you look you're the general manager of, the, uh, of New Orleans Pelicans you have Zion Williamson what are you talking about what does that have anything to do with anything the, the whole thing was bizarre came out of nowhere there was just no reason for it like you said it, I thought it was strange where do you think Carmelo ends up I, you know in my opinion I, I think that LeBron could walk into Rob Polinka's office and say call up Carmelo and get him on the team and it would happen in five minutes so obviously LeBron's not doing this at this point where do you think Melo lands up you think it's with the Lakers um, I think I think it is the Lakers I think it's it's I think they're just waiting to see I just I would be shocked if it isn't I just think it's the perfect setup for him LeBron's there they're a veteran team um, he can still shoot and he can still shoot and he can still play and he's one-on-one -on -one. they already have cousins on a team like I think he just fits in with their mindset I I I I I'm surprised they haven't signed it, but I do think eventually it'll be the Lakers. 741, this is Iron Sports. You're listening to the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. I wrote to it on in boxing. Not much this week, but I did see. <laughs> I just want to talk about one boxing match. And Adam Kowicki, who's a heavyweight, fought Chris Ariola in a 12-round fight. And uh, uh, Adam is from Poland, and then he moved here. And I actually met Adam because I managed to fight her uh, years ago. And Adam was on the first card that my fighter was also on that card. So it's interesting because I got to meet him. He's the nicest guy. Like, he was so nice. I met him. I did three cards with this fighter. So I was always, Adam was always in that card in Brooklyn. And he is, I went to the press conference with him and met Inner Channer. Just, he's a really great guy. Was very nice. It's just perfect. And there's a large Polish community in Brooklyn. In, and they come out strong for him. I mean, they're the red flags, everyone's <laughs> screaming, and he did. And it was a great fight. I mean, he they threw 300, they they threw uh, 369 punches, Kawaki did, and Ariola landed 298. It was the most combined punches ever landed in a heavyweight fight since they've been keeping boxing really? track thing. And it was an exciting fight. Now, Kawaki won the fight, and uh, now he's go, his goal is to become, he's 20-0, is to become the first uh, heavyweight champion as a, a Polish heavyweight champion. Six Polish fighters have tried. Uh, Andrew Galat a lot of people might remember him, mm -hmm. and uh, but it was it was an interesting match. It was great. It was on Fox, and I just I just like I like Adam I, because I know him, but I met him, and I wish him well. And maybe we'll get him on a, on our show sometime. Yeah, you, you you do have the connections like that. I wouldn't be surprised. What else you got? Um, 
interesting, it's very complicated, but Canelo Alvarez, who is the big star now in boxing, was supposed to, has, has had the belts for the middleweight division, and he got sort of messed up. They're trying, he was trying, he's trying to, they want him to fight Triple G again. He doesn't want to fight Triple G, but he doesn't know who, they're trying to set up all these different other fights, and the IBF ended up just taking his belt away. Now these belts don't mean anything, and who you're, whatever, but it became really complicated because now that Dazone is involved in it and they signed him that $400 million contract who gets $35 million a fight. They couldn't even make this fight. So it's really interesting how you have managers now, you have networks, you have, it's just very confusing. And, and it looks like now to this guy, Sergev Devachenko, is going to fight Triple G. Now, Devachenko is from the Ukraine. He's 13-1 record. You're like, so what? He's 33 years old. He's one of the greatest amateur boxers of all time. This match with Triple G, I'm telling you, is going to be a great, great fight. Great really? fight. I don't know if it's going to sell out. It's not going to be Mayweather and whatever, but it is It is going to be a very exciting fight. So now, those two are going to fight for the belt that Canelo gave up. And the question is, who does Canelo fight next? But it's just interesting. I've been following it all week for someone who's interested in boxing just to see how the, the how they were trying to negotiate and how Canelo then started blaming. He's by Golden Boy, so he's mad at Golden Boy, he's mad at zone. he's mad at everybody. At mm. IBF, he's complaining, but, you know, and he's someone who does fight the best fighters. He just, for some reason, does not want to fight Triple G again. Ira, let's, uh, let's change it up, move on to football. Um, sad news, Nick Bonaconti, uh, Miami Dolphins legend, passed away um, over the past week. I, I, I'm too young to have seen him play. You are as well. Um, but when I, you know, it's all they talked about this week down here in South Florida. And people say when it came to the Miami Dolphins, those good runs, you thought of Larry Zonka on one side and you thought of Nick Bonaconti on the other. Right. I mean, the Dolphins were, uh, when I was like three or four years old, I came down to a preseason game in Miami. I remember just going on a bus to watch it and stuff. But I, that's why the, the Dolphins were so great for so many years. Mm-hmm. And he was the heart and soul of the team. It's almost like when, you, when you're the middle linebacker on the team, when you say the Bears, Mike Singletary. When you say the, the Steelers, Jack Lambert. You know, it's like even the Patriots, you almost want to say Teddy Bruschi. You know, mm-hmm. like the, it's like that type of linebacker position is, is, the, is the guy who calls the plays, the guy who runs the defense. And especially in the defenses back in those days, that middle linebacker was key. And uh, he was definitely the heart and soul of the team. And in, in his past life, now I saw where him was he, there was a, a show called Inside the NFL that was on HBO. And this was before ESPN did a lot of their, uh, there wasn't as much on TV about the NFL. And he was like a really good show. Like it was like one of those must two shows every week when <laughs> at HBO that I wanted to watch uh, him talk. So he was involved in that. Then his son uh, was paralyzed playing football, so he became an advocate for paralysis and been involved in that. So he's really been in the eye, great person. Everybody loves him. Hall of Famer, uh, one of the greatest players to ever play the game, but also greatest persons to ever play the game. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really interesting in terms of uh, uh, in you know, to see what goes forward with uh, with Bonner County, I'm, I'm sure there will be statues put up for him around uh, around the stadium. Um, let's talk about Tom Brady. I just signed an extension. <laughs> 42 years old guy signing extensions. But um, he actually took a small pay cut, and he's one of these guys who does this often. He'd rather have good players around him than an extra couple of million in his pocket. Well, he's the he signed. It's very complicated, but really what he did was he just signed for $23 million this year. He was mm-hmm. only supposed to make $15 million, so he signed for twenty three. It's not really an extension. And the way they worked it out, they actually just paid him $8, $8 million more dollars. Um, but he's still the 12th highest paid player quarterback. I mean, he's behind Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr. I mean, it's crazy. Alex Smith, who's hurt. I mean, it, but Brady is tremendous and, and he just shows what, and he's set to go and, and, and ready, but it was, so I don't think it was that big a deal. That's sort of almost like the Patriots didn't really have to do that deal, but for salary cap reasons they did. Uh, but 
just what you say. He's been sacrificing so many millions of dollars every year in order to put the team. And you think about this as much as some of these other players, like Ben, he got a big deal. I mean, he's making $34 million this year. These other quarterbacks have really fought to get the most. He has left money on the table, and that's why he has six rings. And um, <laughs> let's talk about Antonio Brown, because he was your boy. Now he's over in Oakland. He posted some really graphically disgusting pictures of his feet and how mangled they are on social media. Um, you think it's going to affect him this season? Um, I don't know. I mean, they were all excited that Antonio, I mean, he had the whole offseason. He didn't really play. We didn't, didn't play in the postseason. I don't know why his feet are so bad, and I don't know why. I mean, he didn't really, he doesn't look like he came into camp prepared. As someone who's wanted to draft him in fantasy, I'm a little nervous. I'm and, petrified. And, and uh, uh, is this someone who really now, I mean, I think Gruden's even comment, I, uh, Gruden wasn't nice about it. Like, it's like, look, you're ready. It's first day of training camp. You came in on a hot air balloon, made a big deal about it. Mm -hmm. We want you on the field to play. Uh, what were you doing all offseason? Uh, you had months and months to get ready for this. And uh, I think it's a huge concern. And I think if you're the Steeler, as a Steeler fan like I am, I'm glad he's not with the Steelers. I'm you should have been glad even without the feet. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just glad. I'm glad you're not there. And, and I mean, they can, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell continue to make noise and noise and noise. And it's just, you're starting to see it. And, and, and this, there's nothing, there's nothing coming from the Steeler training camp. You're not hearing anything. And I think that's how the Steelers want it. No, absolutely. Um, there's another injury, an actual injury, and it's from a, uh, what a lot of people think is a Super Bowl contender, and you think this might be a big deal. We talked about this. Andrew Luck and the Colts, this year, the Colts defense last year was really coming on great, and they have become, they sort of, they are a team that a lot of people were like, well, looking, well, the Patriots aren't going to go to the Super Bowl. The Colts are. I mean, they are. A, Colts and Chiefs. A, yeah. And people liked him. And Andrew Luck uh, bounced back last year from all his injuries, played. But now he has. He had the, was dealing with his shoulder, with his shoulder. Now this year, it's a calf. And originally, it's like, oh, I have a calf. No one thought a big deal. But then he did. He hasn't been been practicing at all. And then he made the comment. He goes, "I'll be ready for the first week of the season." First week of the season. I mean, people thought this was an injury. And then you start thinking about the calf, and you think about Kevin Durant and Achilles and all these other issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think, and you saw what happened two years ago with him where he didn't play the whole year and this could be an issue with the Colts so for a team that people are viewed as one of the favorites uh, this calf injury is something that is going to be focused on Michael Thomas is I don't know if it's a product of Drew Brees, but he's one of the best receivers in the league statistically, and now he's going to be paid like one. We talked. I predicted that. I knew this deal was going to get done. Four years of $100 million. He's going to the highest paid wide receiver in, in football. Anybody watches the Saints play, he gets open. He catches the ball. He's great. He does. He's like Antonio Brown, but younger. He's someone who gets open, he catches the ball, runs short routes, uh, long routes. I mean, he can run every type of route. And considering what the how they play and the, just Drew Brees is uh, – you know, when he's 40 years old, so this is his song, song of playing, uh, they wanted to lock him up, and it, I, I, it was clearly, it was a deal that was going to get done. 749, is Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel, Mike Balsamo. Here with you as well, Ira, the AFC South year to year is, uh, I would say, the most unpredictable, the most up and down, the most likely to have two 7-9 teams and two 9-7 teams. Uh, Houston, you really never know what you're going to get from these guys, and they struggle to stay healthy, especially at the quarterback position. Indy could be a Super Bowl contender, and then you've got Jacksonville, who was in the AFC Championship game just two years ago. Last year, they were terrible with Blake Bortles, and Tennessee, the least respected playoff team of all time. They managed to slide into the playoffs all the time. This is a weird division. What do you think is going to happen? It's a, it's a division that... I guess when you see Tennessee on TV, you're like, I'm bored with it's it. It's the ugliest football. I'm, and I'm a Titans fan. Unless you were running back, unless you had Derrick Henry at the end of the year and watched him <laughs> run for yards. 280 yards. <laughs> yards. Um, 
I, I just think if you look at the over-unders from Vegas, um, Houston's eight and a half, Indianapolis nine and a half, Jacksonville's eight, and Tennessee's eight. They're predicted to, to have it. They're almost eight and eight tied. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just it's so exciting to think what's going to happen. And, and I think Nick Foles in Jacksonville and what happens with they finally got rid of Blake Bortles. You have a, a quarterback like Foles who was so successful in Philadelphia and he's such a professional. And great now you're, game manager. And now a great game manager. And that's what they want with their defense that they have. Run the ball and yep. And so you're excited about that. Indianapolis with this great defense they have. If Luck is healthy, T.Y. Hilton, they really don't have a running game, but they really, with not, Hines just came on as a rookie running back last year out of the backfield. He's in, he's going to be a, a good running back. I, I like you. Of course, you got to like Indianapolis. And Houston, Houston should be the favorite. I mean, Deshaun Watson, if he is what everyone thinks he's going to be, then he's going to be like the MVP of the league. And they really don't have that running game, but they have uh, Tompkins is the uh, Hopkins is a wide receiver who's considered the best wide receiver in football. Mm-hmm. So, and you have T.J. Watt. I mean, you have um, J.C. J.J. Watt on defense. Clowny, uh, yeah. and Clowny on defense. I mean, they have. It's just they're 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 a team that's set. So it's it's a very uh, I and then Tennessee Marcus Marietta quarterback, and they're probably they're probably going to win. They're probably the worst quarterback of the four, and they probably won the division. The, the smartest thing Tennessee did this offseason was grab Brian Tannehill because Marcus Mariota can barely finish a game, let alone a season. D- D- Ryan Tannehill is going to have at least two starts next year. And if, if that's your backup, you're not in bad shape. He's, he's not a winning – he's not a winner. He's not going to go out there and dominate for you. But that's not what Mariota does for them anyways at this point. He's, he's electric, but they're built on running the ball and stopping you. So I think that was brilliant of them to bring in someone like Ryan Tannehill, an established player in this league, to be able to come in when Mariota gets crushed and is just out for the the, the second half of the game. Yeah, and that's the, the point is is that they established with Lewis and Henry a great running game last year. At the end of the season, I mean, just remember how they were just dominating the yeah. line of scrimmage. This is what got, what's, what got them in the playoffs. And what, what hurt Jacksonville? They couldn't run the ball. And uh, let's see if Leonard Fournette, he has to, I mean, I'm not drafting in fantasy. I wouldn't touch him in fantasy. But... <laughs> If Fournette runs like he can run, I mean, the great LSU star, I mean, if Fournette has that a tremendous year and he can run like he can, he, then then you're, they're in the mix. I mean, they have then the quarterback and the running back because against Houston doesn't really have a running game. They, the Foster is just average, but they definitely, the passing game with, with Watson, uh, I, I, if I had to predict in this division, I'm thinking Houston. I really think that Houston, I think Bill O'Brien, I think they'll get it together, and I'm sold on Watson. I'm still, I just think that they're passing games. I think they're the team that's going to score, and I think their defense is, I, I think they'll, they'll win. And I'm not sold that Luck's going to stay healthy. No, I, I would probably take that bet, too. I think Houston should be the favorite. Tennessee, though, like you said, they get the best running game by far. And Tennessee's, they're going to be, you know, if Vegas says you're going to win eight games, you're probably going to be real close to that. And so honestly, this is be they might get the two wild cards. They might get the, they might get the wild cards in, in there also. So yeah. they might, you might have, the anti- the you might have three. We're talking four teams and all three of these four might make the playoffs. Um, AFC West is a little bit of a different story because to me, there's only two potential teams here. For me, I got to feel a little bit bad for Phillip Rivers because these this should have been his year last year and this year. And then this young Patrick Mahomes comes out of nowhere and is, is an MVP uh, just to start the bat off. I like the Chiefs, but I think they lost a lot of personnel, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think the Chargers win the AFC West. I just think they're a more complete team. And I think if, they, if they're going to do it, if Phillip Rivers is going to do it, this has to be the year. What are you thinking in the AFC West? 
Well, everyone's saying that Mahomes is going to come back to earth. That you throw 50 touchdowns, you win MVP one year, you're not going to do it again. That they're going to, the league's going to catch up to him. They're going to understand. They lost Kareem Hunt. Uh, uh, Tariq Hill has, has had some injuries. D4, uh, Justin Houston. Uh, on defense, they've lost a lot of their their players. And they weren't even good on defense anyway. They were bad year. They lost defense, Steve, yeah. Steve Nelson plays on the Steelers. So they've lost people. And... And it was almost like, you know, you're looking at them as almost a team when they had at home the Patriots. They had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Mm. They had everything there to win. And they didn't do it. And they're like, oh, don't worry. They're young. They'll be back. And it's almost like when the Marino went to the Super Bowl. It's like, oh, don't worry. He's young. He's young. They'll be back. They never were back. And, and you wonder about some of these teams that, that say that, like, oh, we'll, we're young and we'll be back. And they might not be. I, but I agree with you. I mean, I, I love Phillip Rivers. I think, I mean, could they just get off to a fast start? I mean, the problem with the Chargers is they just get off these slow starts every mm-hmm. year and then they just miss out at the end. But uh, certainly Gordon, they'll probably sign him. But they have a great running game, great offensive line. Keenan Allen is perfect. I think Mike Williams this year uh, develops, uh, the guy from Clemson develops in this great, in the, that secondary wide receiver they've been waiting for to come about. Um, I really like the Chargers a lot, and, and I agree with you. I I think the Chargers win this division. I think it's gonna be. I think Chiefs make the playoffs, but I think the Chargers. I mean, you remember they the Chargers and Chiefs played those great, great yes. games. I mean, that they could have gone either way. We talked was about it week on sixteen. Yes, I think. and they yeah. had one, and but the other game, but each one was just so close. Yeah. So I think it's. I think it, but it's both. Both are going to make it. The Broncos, though. I mean, they're sold on Joe Flacco being their quarterback. Uh, I just don't <laughs> Good know. News for you. <laughs> no, I think I think the Broncos and Raiders are going to have trouble. I mean, they, they, they the Broncos over and under a seven. I, I would go. That's, that's under. I would go under seven. They're and, a five win team. Too. And Raiders are six. I don't know. I, I think mean, they're I th- right about that. That's right. I agree. Right about that. But I think the Bron- I think Broncos could really be. I think they're sold on having Flacco as their quarterback. Uh, they're the one team that. That really wants, you know, they're going to be going after Tua next year with the Dolphins. They want Trevor Lawrence. I mean, they're going to be one of those teams that are really going to be searching for these great quarterbacks that come in there. Um, Before we touch on the Hall of Fame, you brought up Melvin Gordon before. He's he's holding out, requesting a trade. I don't know what you want to call it. They offered him $10 million. $10 million a year would put him as the fourth highest paid running back. He's not happy with that. This is a little bizarre to me, Ira, because he's good. He's not great. He's not Ezekiel Elliott. He's not Le'Veon Bell. He's not Saquon Barkley. He turned down $10 million. He wants more than that. What do you think is going to happen here with this situation? Is he a charger next year? I think he's a I think he's a charger this year. I think I think he'll this be year, a charger yeah. and I think they'll 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 have to work out a deal. I mean, I think everyone saw what happened with Levy and Bell last year. Um and though and I think that just sitting out's just not gonna work. But I think they're gonna have to come to sort of the running back position is difficult. Because what it is is that they have they have a they call shelf life. Well the idea is if you're thirty years old running back, you're old. Thirty years of quarterback, you're just getting into your prime. Mm-hmm. I mean Strowman for Toronto is twenty eight, he's considered this good young pitcher. Yeah. So the point <laughs> is is that age is relative, but in running backs, you, you, you have to play three years of college football, so you're 21, you come out, you sign a five-year deal, so it's 26. And then they could franchise you for two more years, so that's 27, 28. So you're 29 years old, Howard, who's going to sign you to this big deal? That's why Elliott wants his money now, even though he's two more years under contract. And the, and the Cowboys are saying, but we can sign rookie running backs. It's, it's almost interchangeable. So DeMarco Murray had almost 2,000 yards with that offensive right, line. Right, and, and, and they're under, the offensive linemen are making the 15, 16, 17, $20 million contracts. And the point is, is that the, but we know the running backs because of fantasy. So fantasy has built these running backs up as like, we follow them, but everybody who knows that's the most important thing. Everybody even talks about the running backs, but they're not the highest paid players on the team. I mean, they're closer to getting what the punters make than what the quarterbacks make. The quarterbacks are in the third 
$30 million range. And we're talking about these running backs wanting 10 or $11 million. But in fantasy, when people sit all around the country and millions of people play fantasy, they're all talking about running backs left and right. And that's the problem. And the running backs, so that's what Elliott and Bell, you see all the holdouts. The holdouts are at the running back position. And their comeback from the running backs, this is what Le'Veon Bell said, is look, we're not just carrying the ball. We're receiving it. I'm getting targets. And Le'Veon Bell was getting 80 targets a year. He's carrying. So we're, we're actually a receiver and a running back. So why in the world do the Antonio Browns and the Michael Thomas got four years of $100 million? Why is he getting $25 million a year when I'm catching the ball and running the ball? It really is unfair when you put this, put it together for running backs. You know, but they're, they're really, I mean, you can draft guys in the third, fourth, fifth round that come in and have almost the same numbers. It's hard to find a fifth-round receiver that puts up close to Antonio Brown, but you can get these running backs. You know, we um, the Chargers last year were 4-0 when Melvin Gordon didn't play. Right. So it's hard to like, well, look at look at the, the Patriots keep winning the Super Bowl. They have Sony Michelle. They have now they brought in Rex Burkhead. They have Damian Harris, another rookie running back this year coming in. They have all these running backs. I mean, it's like uh, interchangeable almost mm-hmm. in terms of what they're running, what they're doing. And it just that's the point is that you're even fantasy this year. You're going to see how many running backs we talk about fantasy. How many people are just going to be the running back on the team? Very few. Barkley is one of them. Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel, if he plays. But the point is, is that they're in a difficult bind, and that's why they're holding out. They're trying to get more money, but the league is not like they're holding out now. But it's not like my point is this: Is Ezekiel Elliott going to get twenty million on our team? No, these they're not going to get the money. You saw what Le'Veon Bell, Le'Veon Bell only got what from the Jets less than what the Steelers offered him. So it's a, they might be holding out all they want, but it's not like these other teams are going to pay him any more money. You're absolutely right. Hall of Fame inductions went in. Champ Bailey, absolutely deserving. Best cornerback of the last generation. Ed Reed, best safety I've ever seen. Uh, Kevin Moye, Tony Gonzalez transcended their position as well. Ty Law, I'm a little bit on the fence about. Never thought of him as the most dominant corner in the league. He was a he was an all-pro, so he's obviously good. But you, you, I mean, you okay with all these guys? What do you think? Um, yeah, I think, I think Ty Law had to get in because... Uh, uh, also, Deion Sanders is the best safety I've ever seen. No, the best of the generation. Oh. Yeah, no. I'm a little younger. Deion, too, was just... I was young when Deion was doing his thing. I don't even remember the Falcons days. I can remember the 49ers and stuff, but I don't remember the early Deion. But Deion was unbelievable. Deion, <laughs> Deion Sanders says they would not throw to any side on the field because he was so fast and he was just so tall when he caught out the. He was just when Deion those his three best years were the three best years and plus he returned punts and was just mm. unstoppable. So and he was great. Baseball. And then he played baseball <laughs> and did everything. But I think Ty Law had to get in because he's a Patriot and we talked about this before that the Patriots are going to have six titles and you got to have more than Tom Brady on in the in Belichick have to be in the Hall of Fame. So they're going to try they're trying to put some of these Patriots in the Hall. Of Fame. Gronk is probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. They're, they're, oh, they're, you're going to need more Patriots. You can't just have Tom Brady. So you're going to have to add some of these players. And they, and they change players so much, and the team is so much Brady and Belichick. But you, the feeling is you can't have a team with six titles and have nobody else in the Hall of Fame. Especially with the, you know, the first two rings really coming when Brady wasn't the GOAT. So right. you, you got to give someone some credit there. Um, fantasy running backs. I don't like fantasy rookie receivers. But fantasy rookie running backs can really do well for you. What's your uh, forecast for this season? Well, that's what we tied it in. I wanted to tie it in Ellie and Gordon saying that last year, if uh, we talked about this, Lindsey for the Denver, uh, Saquon Barkley for the Giants, um, Nick Chubb uh, for for Cleveland, the rookie running backs were phenomenal. And and, and again, I think, now look, I drafted the wrong ones. Penny for (laughs) Seattle didn't do well. Jones for Tampa did terrible. Geis got hurt. But the point is that there are, this year, these teams want to play it. Because remember, they have them locked up for five years or four years. They're going to play their rookie running backs when they only have to pay them on the rookie pay scale. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. There's a pay scale. So they get to pay him on the rookie pay scale. Um, and so I, they're not going to wait. Like, it's not going to be like, oh, we'll have a running back in two or three years. Like, they want to use them now. They don't want them to be so good with a holdout or whatever. Like, they're they're going to play. A rookie's getting the ball. A rookie's going to get him, the yeah. ball because, it, and and the point is, and the rookie wants the ball. And, and I think in Oakland, Josh Jacobs, who was drafted from Alabama, I, I look, I mean, Gruden just made a comment. He can't believe how well he catches the ball. You're going to see him as being every down back. If you're looking, drafting at fantasy, I mean, he's going to be one of the top running backs this year. I think, and I don't see him in, in the in mock drafts. He's not going that high. The guy, David Montgomery. No beast. one talks. Nobody knows who he is. He's a he played beast. at Iowa State. He's at Chicago. He has no. They have, they have Tariq Cohen. I was like, oh, he's the running back. No, he's really like the wide receiver he's running back. Yeah, yeah. He's, he catches 90 badges. But Montgomery is going to have a great year for the Bears. And they got rid of Jordan Howard. He's going to be a star there. Miles Sanders at Penn State from Penn State who plays at the Philadelphia. Now there's a lot of backs. They do running back by committee. But boy, you're hearing out of Philly's camp, the Eagles camp, how well he's playing. I got to think he's going to get the be a great person to draft. And and a couple surprises. Daryl Henderson who went to Met, played at Memphis. I got my eyes on him. Well, Gurley, Todd yeah. Gurley is the big star, but everyone's saying, you know, his knee, his arthritis in knee. If he doesn't play, Henderson's someone who's just going to step into that position and have a great year. And he, he's a, he can catch, he can run. He had a tremendous college career. And there's a guy, Alexander Matheson from Boise State. You're like, Boise State, where is he playing? Minnesota. Well, Delvin Cook's there. But Cook's been injured. Cook's in and out. Like, if he gets, I mean, he's been totally injury prone. Madison could step in and take that role. And uh, Devin Singletary, back from FAU, is a, 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 in Buffalo with the Bills. Well, they have LaShawn McCoy, but you know, maybe they don't want LaShawn McCoy there anymore. And maybe there could be other changes. There's other things that could happen. He could step in. So I'm definitely drafting. I will have on my team at least three fantasy running backs this year. Oh, absolutely. And I'm going for these young guys. You can get them in the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth round. Um, I heard before we wrap it up, people don't realize football's back really soon, and not just NFL, college is even closer. Well, August 24th, Miami versus Florida in Orlando. Florida's favored by seven and a half. Um, this is the Manny Diaz air opens in Miami. There's a lot of enthusiasm to play this game on the 24th. I mean, this is like opening. Yeah. It's going to be great. But then on the 29th on Thursday, that weekend is going to be a great. There's no pro football. So you got the 20. It's like, this is just a great weekend. You got Utah at BYU. Like, who cares about Utah? Well, Utah is one of the favorites to win the Pac-10. And they're minus six at BYU. Then you get to see Clemson play that night against Georgia Tech. The 33-point favorites, but you get to see Clemson and play. Friday, you have Wisconsin at South Florida, one of the top Big Ten teams. And then on Saturday, FAU at Ohio State. Uh, Duke plays Alabama. Alabama's favorite by 31, but again, a chance to see them. How about Boise State at 7 o'clock at night at first Florida? That should be Florida State, which should be uh, a very... Florida State's only favorite by three points mm -hmm. in that game. And then Georgia, you get to see Georgia play, the other one of the top favorites at Vanderbilt. And then a big game is Auburn minus six and a half versus, Georgia, uh, versus Oregon. So those are going to be games. And then on Sunday, Houston at Oklahoma. Now, people like Houston a lot. They're, Oklahoma's a 26-point favorite. They're one of the top teams. But again, this is a chance for the Georgias, the Oklahoma the Alabamas, the Clemsons, and the Ohio States. Are you really up to that hype? Are you really going to be that good? Is someone going to pull an upset? And then Notre Dame plays Louisville on Monday. So it's a really nice, good first weekend of football. Ira, before we wrap it up, what are you doing this week? I think I'll be, I'll be in L.A. and definitely catch a couple Dodger games. We are out of time. Ira, it's a great job tonight. We'll talk to you next Monday night. It's Iron Sports.